0: Welcome to the Joel Beasley Tech and Science podcast. Let's talk about the layoffs. The layoff yeah. tsunami. What's that was a I think that's a direct quote from you.
1: Yeah, it's uh you know, so many of those companies are customers of ours and it is uh you know, talk to talk to any of the technologists in that space. One of the things, the thing that's been most consistent for you, know, where I started to go with that thought was they all have a different theory of why it's happening. I know you've talked to some yourself. Uh The thing that's most consistent with me is there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason on the who or wait a minute, that product over there was making you money. It was in the green. It was popular within your community and within your seem to fit your, the narrative of your corporate goals. Why why tank that? Or that's two or three of them, not just the brightest people you have in that organization, they know where everything is and they're all things considered not very expensive. Like the, the cost to production, I'm not talking about like a senior most person, a, a, a medium person, that has a lot of experience, a lot of tenure, very difficult to replace, a lot of skill in that they'll They'll probably go to a competitor or some other group that's going to have a consequence for you in the long run. I don't know why do you think
0: well josh who who did we have that conversation with? Um, it's mostly Brian the, singer Brian singer. Yeah. did you hear that one? Is that the one you're talking about or no
1: Yeah. I remember I listened to your podcast regularly. That was a few months ago, I want to say. Yeah. I don't remember We, we debated. The,
0: he, was, he had this theory about why all these people were getting let go. And we sort of shared and, and brainstormed two or three different reasons. One, because of the, the tax money and the, right. the free money pipeline. For stopping. sure. I can't remember all, all three, but there were about three different reasons. But he said the same kind of thing that you just said. He goes, "One of the things that didn't make sense is who got let go when they got let go." And yeah. I don't, I don't know what to do. I, I know this. If I have someone on from any of those places, they won't tell me. But yeah,
1: well, they won't tell me either. We, we we've my company's benefited. We've got some genius people now. We were able to go out <laughs> on the marketplace and just upgrade upgrade. We didn't replace anybody. We just, it's all additive. You know, data centers right now are having a moment. We, the, the thing about open AI tools or whatever is you need digital infrastructure for it. Like there's just, you know, the two things for any modern civilization to your point about a kid in some other part of the world, they need electricity. They need connectivity. Um, I don't make electricity but we we are part of the heart of the digital infrastructure whether it's on the telecom side or the data center side uh, you know somebody says a cloud well I'm the sky for the cloud they live in somebody's data center somewhere their own some combination of data centers and so as we've um, as we've added people that have been a result of this consequences we, we have just we have been able to um, just add some of the smartest genius, really creative thinking people. So we're, we're experiencing not a Renaissance, but just a great burst of um, talent. So we love that. What we're scratching our head about is we don't, we're not really sure why I do. I am reminded now what you said about the tax that Brian brought that up. I never researched that, but, man, that resonates with me. It has the ring of truth that that for sure, if that's the way that Brian, and I have no reason why to doubt him, is is, is the way that he laid out, I can uh, I can see that. And it kind of makes sense. There's so many, you know, as so many of these organizations, we're rushing into, um, uh, you know, indulging. I don't want to say indulging, but just exploring all these creative ideas and all of these teams and all of these work streams I could see if they had these incentives, how it would they could afford to do that. Where it doesn't make sense to me is incentive or not. These at the core of your business or in your businesses, these people would I would think would be the the last to go. Like they're they're not the most expensive, they're not at the top of the ch- food chain, they're uh, exponentially qualified to uh, solve the problems that are core to your business, and they're not there anymore. I, it surprised them. I don't. I don't know the rhyme or reason of it, but we're going to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, and I, I can't remember his point. I brought up the tax thing because I saw the money oh, go was away. You? Yeah, yeah, because well, it was a direct, a direct stoppage of of money for right. your employee retention, and so that's dollars. He had a, a great couple other perspectives on on why it might be, but the one thing that was unsure is why they, uh, like, why they cut yeah. who they cut. Right. And one of the only idea I have there mm-hmm. is the second reason, other than the tax free money going away, is all the big businesses want the Fed to stop raising rates. And the Fed is saying we're not going to stop raising rates until the economy is impacted. So I think that they were quick cuts. With not a lot of thought behind them, there's like, look, we need to shed ten thousand jobs. We need to keep that new cycle going. You notice that they didn't all do it the same week. It was like right. they all announced in like this order to create this uh, feeling in society that there's just this massive amounts of layoffs continuously happening. I think, look, here's why I think it. Right. It's what I would do. If if we were sitting up there and we were having these types of problems and and they kept raising our interest rates, which is cr- like killing our profits th- through the debt that we have. All those companies have tons of debt, right? Right. Even though they have cash, they still have debt. But that debt's becoming more expensive, making it not make as much sense. They should have used right. their cash, right? So I a quick thing is, hey guys, let's all get together and let's just start dropping you know chunks of employees here and there that aren't on our most profitable core product lines. You know that are our bread and butter of what we're known for for shareholders, so it doesn't freak shareholders out let's just cut a bunch. Let's just cut a whole bunch and then we'll just cut one after the other. And I know it's like a little bit nefarious, but it's also like really not that far from reality because that's exactly what did happen. They just, every month or every other week, another person announced these, these cuts. I don't maybe. Know, I think, I think It's that's not an area
1: that I'm an expert in, but I it seems to me, like the idea of people getting together either in some coordinated fashion or maybe they were fast followers of, oh that's a genius idea. They didn't, they didn't do it very well because so many of the, if that's, if that's in fact what they planned, because I, so many of the engineers and, and, and design people like in the infrastructure of their worlds, at the end of the day, these are genius, creative organizations. I, I admire pretty much all of them at the core of what they build and how they build it. It's just remarkable to me. There, it was. Um, it was more like you know, the, every third raindrop that hit somebody took that person out. Like it just this random, almost like a, what was the uh, the Marvel movie where you know half of the population was wiped out and the other half did. Like there wasn't a rhyme or reason to them to the people that were close to it. I haven't heard any of them across all of the major hyperscales that you could imagine. And I and I live in this world having any any thought like that. And, and if it did, if they, you know, evidently the Fed didn't get the message because the Silicon Valley Bank <laughs> failed, the second largest yeah. failure in history, Credit Suisse later. But SVB in particular, the consequence to so many people I know in that world was pretty spectacular. And I'm, I'm talking about, you know, executive leadership, they're still part of their organizations. Like it's, that's not a common. I don't think they're trying to, tiptoe around it either. I just don't think they have that perspective. I'm not sure what it is, whatever the confluence of things, your your premise is as likely as any that um, I've heard, but it is, um, it's head scratching for sure. I don't know, I don't know what the answer is, but I am absolutely gonna take advantage of the talent that's become available.
0: Yes. That's the thing that matters most is what you what you do to what happens, and I and I want to be clear that like I'm not all tinfoil hat on this one specific thing. I believe that the greatest driver could have been the reduction in free money. I mean that's like a huge driver because literally it was money to retain employees. So like you were incentivized to to bring these people on. But I, I believe as a human, the way we make decisions, I I, I think it's, there's a, there's a lot of parts to it. Like rarely is it one very ultra specific thing that you like claim, like, this is the reason. You know, usually it's a little bit of, well, Fred's raising fates wouldn't hurt to lose people. We don't have this extra money. This is also happening. This is happening. That product's also like maybe not doing so well. And, or maybe, you know, whatever the reason is, I do believe that there are reasons. Sure. I do believe that there is some, you know, whether it's as simple as the person who led that department didn't have a good enough justification on their report. Right. And so that that whole department got cut just yeah. because they weren't good enough at communication. I mean, that that is a completely realistic plausible reason why an important part would get cut is cuz you know how it works at the highest levels of leadership.
1: It's sure. very social. Sure. If I saw a pattern like that, I I would agree. I'd be quicker to agree. I just didn't see. It just seems so randomized products that seem to be doing well that are still there, but the smartest, not most expensive, capable people in them removed. Other people that are much more expensive in some cases retained other products that aren't as successful retained where other like it, like is just, I don't know. It was, it's uh, now. granted I haven't because I'm not part of that, Personally, I haven't studied it very closely. I don't know if we're done with that, or maybe they just grew quicker, faster, more. I I don't know what the answer is, but it is, um, it certainly, if you've been out on the West Coast in particular, it has been a lumpy six months for sure between the layoffs and the banking infrastructure out there, the weather that they've had, Makes me grateful to live in Atlanta, Georgia. I'll tell you that.
0: It's impacted our sales. Uh, oh, one of our it? salespeople was doing far worse, and we were trying to figure out, you know, like sales automation's working, right. open rates, good deliverability, like all of our normal KPIs are good. And then we realized, oh, she's only got California. Yeah. And California's been put through the ringer. There's been a lot of turnover and lots yeah. of departments. And we're, we're, so we chalked it up to that's most, like, it's most likely a territory. Uh, yeah. Reason why why sh- her meetings and everything are down. So
1: yeah, it's um. I think we're still figuring this thing out, and I think we're figuring out. You know, there's this there's wild crazy growth, and then there's consumption and absorption, and unfortunately, the idea of um, controlling costs through layoffs, which is I've been exposed to this idea of conscious capitalism, and learned that's really sort of a thing that's become normative in the early '80s and on and that that wasn't a, uh, as I understand it, a normative management style before that. Uh, presuming that's true, I think it's wildly unfortunate that organizations grow like that. We're pretty entrepreneurial in our organization, try to be very careful and guarded as we grow to the best of our ability to manage that. But it is, um, it's, it's just the, the, the randomness. As I see it and as I talk to my community that's connected to it, it's the wild randomness, and I, I don't know that any of us have come up with an idea that we all kind of nod our head and say, "Yeah, that makes sense. I can, I could see a path like that." We haven't yet figured out the uh, jigsaw puzzle.
0: So I've got a, a little thought experiment for you. Let's so let's do it. imagine a future fourth industrial revolution eats up. of the jobs in an incredibly short period of time, more condensed than any of the other previous revolutions. So much so that there's not an opportunity to replace them all. What should this 80% of the laid-off workforce do? What will happen to them?
1: I think um, what will happen to them? Well, for sure, if, um, if there isn't a... Well, here's what's happened in history, whatever the disruption has been whether you're a weaver or a p- pick a pick a tool, they rebel. If there is not a path <laughs> that leads to hope, there is rebellion, good or bad. There is a rebellion and a revolution. That's that is human history, and I'm certain that will uh, that would be the case. But let's just presume that there is something better. I don't know. You know, as I think about the thought experiment, what I know in my own personal life is, if I don't have something I'm striving for, I tend to not be the best version of me. Something that I'm striving for intellectually, something that I'm striving for morally, something in my community. And I think that's true. I mean, one of the things that COVID seemed to illustrate is that human beings are social creatures and we're designed for community. There are outliers. I'm not talking about the outliers. But in general, we are designed to be in community and connected to people. And I believe in the West, we do the best in the world when we have a high value on life and we have a high value on, um, not outcome, but opportunity. I'm not a big equality of outcome person. I think that leads to all sorts of bad behavior and conversation for another day, but certainly opportunity, um, equality of opportunity. And so for that 80% that's disrupted, one of the things I don't think is that it's the government's job to pro- to, um, provide a, uh, what is that movie? Wally was the uh I think it was a Disney movie. We're all sitting around in lounge chairs. I'm doing my best to do my Wally. uh normally I I'm in a suit. This is my Wally suit. Normally I'm yeah. not this thick. But it is um whatever it in order for our society to thrive, that 80%'s gonna have to have an opportunity, whether they it's personal endeavor because my immediate circumstances are met, whatever they they look like. But I'm gonna have to be able to find a way to strive for the things that just bring value and meaning to me and to my community, whatever that looks like. And I, I don't know exactly. What I don't want to see is um, the government trying to come in and mandate uh, some mechanism by which we we find meeting or we're you know we're just doing mundane whatever. But I, I'm not one, look, if, if somebody came along and said, hey, look, we're going to, uh, we're going to create an opportunity where, for, for me and my family, where I don't have to show up to work tomorrow if I don't want to, what would I do? In other words, I'm not trying to get a paycheck. I've got my health care taken care of. I've got my income taken care of. And I'm free in this society to do what I want. I'd probably do exactly what I'm, I'm doing am doing. My name would be on the podcast, so my topics would probably be wi- wider and different and maybe more controversial in my podcast. Um, I follow the corporate rules because I'm a good corporate citizen. But I know that the best version of me is if I'm out there striving and I would just let my curiosity reign. And I think as long as we as human beings do that, we'll, uh, we'll adapt to whatever it is. If we don't do that, I think there will be... Um, rebellion and chaos in an order of magnitude that we have yet to experience because we're just we just don't thrive without a uh, higher purpose and a commitment to community. I, I think it's uh, demonstrable. Uh, it's, it's scientifically demonstrable. We know it through uh, just personal experiences. So I don't I don't have an answer for the what we would do, but I know what we should do.
0: And, and what's, what's the, what we should do in like two sentences? Be,
1: uh, yeah. Well, in two sentences, we should pursue things that bring us value, brings value to ourselves and to our community.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. What?
1: What's, how do you answer that thought experiment? I call you are in right a bunker people. in Tennessee. So, <laughs> but what would you do? What would I do? Well, what's if, what I you're thought... doing right now? Like you created, you know, I know a little bit of your story because we are friends mm-hmm. and I admire you very much. And you said for you and your family, look, these are the things that are not only I have an aptitude for, but I have an attitude for these conversations. For example, I love this community of thinkers and um, and I'm constantly improving myself and my business, one to create a life for my family, but also to satisfy my curiosity and hopefully build value for my guests and for myself, like some version of that you've made for yourself and you're pursuing that. And, and so if the government came in tomorrow and said, hey, uh, if you are at some corporate job, we've replaced that. Some machine's going to do that for us. You don't need to do that anymore. But we've got some universal basic income over here. We've got some other mechanism by which you're satisfied enough so you don't rebel. What would you do? You would do something similar to what you're doing now. So long before that government came in and intervened like that or, or technology, you've decided I'm going to pursue this for myself because this is the best version of me.
0: If I if I could, I'll, I'm running with your thought experiment now. So let's just say sure. that this happened. I believe currently, with the the limited experience that I have in life, I, I believe that what would happen is that most people would not. I think most people don't have the self-discipline, the drive, and the desire. I think most people do the least amount of possible just mm. to get by. They wake up and they drag themselves to a job they hate. Look at job statistics of how people enjoy their jobs. Right. This isn't my personal opinion. This is just what I've, what I've seen sure. out there in in data. And so what I think would happen is if you did that to 80% of the jobs, what you're going to get is basically a blast from the past. There's going to be gangs and violence and issues and sub economies that pop up and drug usage and depression and there's going to be all sorts of bad stuff so the to to answer your question if it was at a point where society was stable enough where the police Mm -hmm. weren't so overrun that they could be out policing versus having to be at home to protect their families right If society was stable enough, I'd still be pursuing what I'd do. Sure. Um, If it wasn't, I'd be taking care of my family, growing food and and doing things like that and and figuring out how to make it. But here is the thing that gives me confidence, Dave. Mm. No matter what happens, I don't give up. Right. Like that's it. Like I I go out fighting. Like I, I don't give up. I don't care how bad it gets. I told people when I raised money for my business five years ago, One of the reasons why they told me after that they they decided to invest in me is because I was standing up in front of them, all like 50 limited partners, and I said something Mm -hmm. along the lines of, they they were grilling me, like, what happens if it doesn't work? What's the contingency plan or this? And I told them, I said, look, guys, I go, if this didn't, the only way something ceases to exist is if you decide you're going to let it die as an entrepreneur. I said, I will be working night shifts at Walmart scrubbing toilets and still trying to get this thing to work. Right. Like there there is nothing that will stop me from trying to get this thing to work. Like I will do that. You could find me if I still don't get it to work, I'll be 80 years old still scrubbing those toilets trying to figure out how to get it to work. Like I won't stop and and until we get there. And and for them they, they liked that aspect of it, but it's the truth. It wasn't something I said to raise capital. In fact, I had never raised capital myself before that. And it was my first time ever doing it. And I haven't since I've only ever done it once. So, um, in a, in a, in a venture capital official way. Uh, so yeah, I, I won't give up. I'll just keep going. I'll find a way to do what I love regardless if I have a lot or if I have a little, I'll figure it out. I'm, Blessed in the sense that for some reason I have that in my DNA. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's a hair, you know, America in general, or certainly in its foundation, we are pioneer stock. You know, the people that came, the people that survived, whether, however they got here, they're pioneer stock and they survived and they fought against every odd. And it was, uh, when you go back in history and you read like real history of all the different groups and how they got here and how they survived, it was uh, we're a tough, hardy people, unlike pretty much any place else on Earth. Not just because of our constitution, but this this interconnected, many times spectacularly messy group of people. So, what would happen if eighty percent of them found themselves without purpose? Um, I, th- I think it's been watered down a lot, too. Oh well, for sure, yeah. absolutely. There's no, um, there's no doubt about it, right? There's a saying I'm sure you've heard it before that said, "Hard times create hard yes. men." Yeah, you know this. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Hard the- men make good times. Good times make weak men, and it's a cycle. And so, but if there is a a techno technological revolution where all of a sudden, beyond our ability to absorb the change. You know, whatever the percentage is—eighty percent, forty percent—some con- consequential, unabsorbable group of people were set afloat um, with no purpose. Yeah, it would. There would be many of the things. Some of them. Some of them would do what you did, and what I would like to think I would do, which is, I'm not giving up. I've got a purpose greater than myself. I believe my steps have been ordained. I'm. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to do the things that I. I, I, um, I feel like I have the aptitude and the attitude to do and it'll work or it won't. I'm not trying to be naive or Pollyanna. That's what I've done. You know, I, I have a career path that kind of bounces all over the place, taking advantage of opportunities in front of me my whole life. The thing that I'm not going to do is worry about the things that I can't control. If I, 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 at least I tell myself that, that I, I somehow have this emotional stability, but I have to face that regularly. I don't have control over these things. I've got control over these things. And uh, if, if the population doesn't have a hope, and maybe someday, whether it's in the States or someplace else, we get to that spot, we will rebel. There will be a rebellion. Whatever the outcome of that is, hard to say, but um, there will be a rebellion. And I'm sure um, people think about that and do these models all the time. And uh, who knows whether they think that fits a narrative that they care about or don't care about. I don't know. But it is for those of us that around technology and we see all these amazing sparkly things, I think it does us good to also pay attention to have a level of skepticism, maybe not cynicism, but skepticism. So what's the unintended consequence to my children, to my grandchildren, to the world around me. If we allow, um, if in our world, we do not mandate certain uses of these tools and experiences, there could be consequences, uh, that we can't imagine that would just absolutely destroy our society. I think it's a very real conversation that we should have. We have it uh, on occasion here, but it is, um, I don't know. I don't spend a lot of time in those thought experiments.
0: I don't spend a ton of time there, mostly because I have spent time there in the past and I found it to be not too fruitful. First of all, I don't like making decisions based off of fear. Right. It's like a general core principle. I, I, if I find myself making decisions off of fear, I, I try to correct that as, as quickly as possible.
1: Right. Yeah. Now, when you say fear, do you mean fear? Like if you open the door and there's a lion there, Yeah. you should have fear and you should yeah. make immediate decisions yes. as opposed to anxiety because I'm postulating what could happen. I'm yes. postulating all these other things, which is different than being wise. Like if you're... If you're a settler on the Oklahoma prairie 150 years ago, freaking tornadoes come across the prairie and there's not going to be any 24 hour weather system to tell you to prepare. So you should build as if tornadoes come, but don't wake up every day in fear of tornadoes. You've got a mechanism, you've got 90 days of food and water, you've got like you prepare for the very likely things that are likely to happen with a level of uh, wisdom which is not the same as being afraid to go out and farm your plot of land because a storm may pop up.
0: Exactly the case, yes. I deal with what's in front of me, but I also make decisions the best I can like long-term. You learn this a lot if you run a business or if you run a budget for your own family or if you want to run a budget for a department. You learn how to live with margin you learn how to, you know, what your risk tolerance is. I happen to know that I have a higher risk tolerance than the average person. Right. Um, I found this out really quickly during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm, I'm definitely on the other end of the spectrum. I apparently, and it makes sense if you look at, you know, historically what I like being an entrepreneur is a, is a high risk situation. So yeah, um, yeah. But for me, learning to deal. Specifically, we went out to this farm, and we were talking about becoming like completely independent as quickly as possible and homesteading. And right. you know, the, we were finding ourselves being a little bit like, ah, things are falling apart. We and we're like, right. we don't like the sky is falling feeling. I was like, let's, let's right. take a step back and let's just pay attention. And then, I our our theory is the following: if things get to the point where it's bad enough to where we're actually Having to to farm for food and do all these things, well, then then work's not like a thing anymore, right? Like, and then and then at that point, I'll have eight hours a day, and if I have eight hour, if I have the same amount of time that I put into my work right now to put into making the house livable without basic things or whatnot, then we'll be completely fine. Right. Um, and, and so th- those are and some you, of the, the only processes. way you'd
1: be able to survive. So Joel, you're part of your story that I love. Besides our conversations offline. I just think you're such a remarkable human being, but it it is a um, it's such a cool story on how through the series of circumstances you began leveraging the things that you're good at and your curiosity as a programmer and developing that into a business. The circumstances with your mom, some of your own personal health circumstances, just this you're transparent about this in your conversations. Yeah. Not a lot of people react the way that you did and do, where they maintain their curiosity, but they also bring this level of wisdom and say, okay, so how do I, um, I can't change this about myself. I'm curious. I want to explore and I want to interact with this community and these communities that are really interesting to me, both professionally and personally at the same time, I want to create some, uh, back to your comment about control, some world where, um, I and my family can thrive in and make short-term provision I, I have a neighbor, you know, I like to shoot. I have a lot of weapons. I have a lot of ammo. My, somebody that I know said to me not long ago, well, you know, if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, you know, I'll be over at your doorstep and we can, you know, we can stop them at the doorstep. I'm like, who are we going to, who are we going to shoot? Like, I don't, you know, if the world's <laughs> fallen apart, in my faith tradition, like I'm greeting people and I'm trusting that, <laughs> you know, the things that we, we, we try to be wise, I w- we wouldn't consider ourselves hoarders, but I think there's a, there's a I don't know what the fine line is maybe it's in our individual hearts between being wise, fiscally, socially, or whatever, and creating boundaries for yourself, and um, so you can have a because I think boundaries help human beings. I don't think they hurt human beings. They help us to navigate. And not everybody's boundaries are the same. Some are narrower, some are wider. But there's there's not a you know there, there's a difference between being wise and being prepared and being a hoarder and being greedy. Uh And, um, at least in this personal level that I'm describing. And so I, I don't have a mindset of me against them. If the apocalypse happens, if whatever that looks like, um, we'll, we'll just live our life as authentically and genuinely as we can. But I do think human beings, and this was our tradition really for the longest time through the late seventies into the early eighties. And it began to change. How do we we had a rainy day savings is what some people called it or whatever. You have some, you know, you weren't debt in every way. You had things around. Nobody was called a prepper or anything like that. You lived within your means. You could be a Chicago bus driver and put your kids through state school. Like you could, there was a, and I know this is a much more complicated conversation. We don't have time for it. I know we're coming up on the end of our time, but I, I just think that it is, I admire that at a, from my perspective, at a pretty young age, as you and your bride and your family have moved through these experiences, you've said to yourselves, what's our risk tolerance professionally and personally? How do we build communities? Because nobody's going to be able to, if this really is that dire circumstance, you're not going to be able to protect your family by yourself. You're going to have to co- have a community of like-minded people where you guys rally together. And um, that's that's our heritage as Americans. I mean, that is for sure our inheritance. We started off as a very impoverished people that ha- have grown to where we've grown because of uh, the resources that we have and the opportunities that we've had, but building it as a community of people. We are our best as people, as a nation, when we're um, inclusive within broad boundaries, but boundaries nonetheless, and look out and take care of for each other. We are at our worst when um, there are either no boundaries, that destroys us, Or it is just for a super small select group of people. So, I don't. I don't know that I answered anything in there. But it Uh, is. um, uh, That's that's my perspective anyway.
0: Yeah, Uh, risk tolerance wise, to your point of coming to the door type deal. Yeah. What we have analyzed in our risk profile is the following: we we ranked the most likely situations. I think the most likely situation of an actual like meaningful issue would be. Something gets disrupted horribly in the supply chain to where it's limiting the delivery of food to places because right. then that's when people get crazy. Right. Um, uh, some sort of power grid failure or EMP type situation. I think if we're going to get attacked kinetically, I think it would be that way versus a nuke being dropped. Right. Yeah. Uh, I just that's my gut. Right. And um, and so with with those two things, the, our our mind when we play out the scenario of like, well, what do you think would happen? Well, I see it in in our like. Uh, Like the street level, or like our, our, we live in a really small town outside Mm -hmm. of Nashville, so it's very clear. There's one road, you know, essentially in and out of town. It's like the main road. So I was imagine I'd be like, yeah, we as a community of this small town would likely come together, block the road off, or whatever, and and work with resources and share and build community within our within our space of the people who geographically reside here. It's like I think that's the most likely thing to happen, Um, and. And so, uh, that's, that's how we saw it. And we said, okay, well, what, what, what can we do to be reasonably prepared for mm-hmm. today and, and right now? And, uh, so, you know, we join all the groups too about the homesteading and we have, we have timelines and we think about it a lot. Um, but not, we don't think about it in a like maniac, stressed out. This, it's more of a, a hobby we pick up and drop from time to time right you know you want to do the greenhouse you want to build a greenhouse this weekend yeah we could do that or you want to dig a well next month or something like what 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 of the 20 different things that we could want to do should we do and i think it's an important part of at least american culture if not men i think it's a it's a manly thing to want to be prepared for and and protect and to provide for your family and to you know move towards that at a reasonable pace and not frantically all at once spending your life savings trying to build a, a forever shelter under your property or whatever. Right. I think I think that's just a part of of um the experience. Also to sort of wrap up I get a lot of peace by just putting God first. Yeah. Like obviously we're going to get punched in the face at some point. This I yeah. it's happened before, it'll happen again. I don't know when, but what I do know is that uh, I'll respond to it and I'll try to be the best version of my, myself, uh, when responding to it. As you said, I am typically the best version of myself when I'm responding to some form of, of challenge.
1: Yeah. I I love that idea. I mean, if, if, if you go out there and you, you feel like not from a perspective of greed, but look, I, I like to be independent. That's my mindset. Mm -hmm. That's That's who I am as a person. And so my property has the ability to support a well. I have a well put in. Why not? And then I can irrigate how I want. I can do how I want. But I also now have plenty to give my neighbor should there Mm -hmm. be a circumstance that I need to share with my neighbor. I like to have a plot of land so I can have the healthiest, freshest, direct-to-table, environmentally uh, friendly. In all these things, I think where we get tripped up is either one of two things. We either say, ah, there won't be a consequence that will happen to me. Godzilla won't show up. Godzilla always shows up. There will be some point, <laughs> some way, somewhere. I don't think you live your life in fear. To your point earlier, but there, there is. Uh, um, who knows what the the disruptions are? Again, I don't think you run around foolishly and in a, in a greedy, selfish way. By selfish, I don't mean just share with anybody. I just mean there's a you know be purposeful. It's it's the it's the long term investments over time that are the um, allow you to live today while growing value for yourself and your um, the people who inherit things from you. But the second part of it is, uh, so that's do nothing, is to just be so insular and so isolated. Both of, the, the other of those things, I think, are the purpose of God. I think we are created, my personal philosophy is, I'm created to live out the life that's, the opportunities in front of me. And as I get plenty, I don't think God has a problem with us Paying ourselves and rewarding ourselves. But when we, when it's always for ourselves, it becomes then we take a good thing and we turn it into a bad thing. It, it, you're able to level, you know, leverage your talent, whatever your talents are to employ people or to create whatever around you. You leverage it first for yourself and your family and then the community around you. And if we can spend time doing that. We are, I think, the best, most beautiful version of ourselves in our community, and that will withstand Godzilla, AI taking over the world, mass layoffs, whatever it is. We've been through circumstances before, and as long as we have that attitude and that kind of a community, I don't think there's anything stopping us.
0: If you want to have a lot of fun, we go out to eat maybe twice a month.
1: And, oh, I know what you're going to say. You're yeah. about to tell me about the Golden Corral br- uh, dessert bar, <laughs> the chocolate fountain. Was that? Can we add that news out of the to con- me? So we're yeah. going to put that on the menu. You now? want to talk about a petri dish of experience? That'll, yeah, uh, anyway. yeah.
0: We we picked it up from somebody. Can't remember who. But uh, when we go out to eat, because it's it's a rare thing, we don't go out to eat all the time. But like maybe twice a month, we'll tip like a hundred percent. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, I've gotten more hugs from that. Mind blowing but yep. it's selfish too like i like the i like the fact that like i here's here's one of the things i picked up the, the i think it was the guy who sold snapchat there was some some big silicon valley guy who sold right. some big tech we all know i can't remember what it was right. i read something in his book and he said that um uh he gives every interaction he has with the service industry he gives them $100 yeah. and he he built out the math and he he's giving away nothing basically. Right. Like it, it is such a he can give a hundred dollars to every single barista lunch meal tip to every single person whether it's buying a two dollar cup of coffee. Right. And I think like the amount was something crazy small, like thirty six thousand dollars a year or something like that, right. C- compared to having you know five hundred million dollars, right? Right. And and so you know, that's just something he picked up and he does now. And I was like, well, how can I do that on my level? Right. Cause I can't do it on his level. And so I I started doing it and it's probably been about a year. And I'll tell you what, man, it it gives you like the best feeling in the world.
1: If you open your mind to do something like that, it may not be money. You may not have the money to do it, but you've got time. Mm -hmm. You've got a resource. You've got something. There's something that you have. If nothing else, you've got the power of your words. Now, I'm not saying use your words if you've also got cash. My wife was a bartender through college, and I remember one time I, che- I tipped really cheap. I was irritated with the service or whatever. My wife's half Japanese, half Irish. That was not a good day for me, because she knows well, how hard, whether it's bartending and all the crud you gotta deal with as a young woman through school, dealing with that, or just as a server. She was in the service industry for a number of years. Um, honestly, she paid for half of our wedding. I mean, we were just poor army guy and trying to figure this out. So she really drilled that value. And then I began experiencing if I'm able to be generous and I tried to be generous and an anonymous, I've been at restaurants and not to my own horn, but just go over and I see a party over there. And there've been circumstances in my life where I could afford it at that time. And I pick up the tab for those, that table, because it's a they don't even know. I just tell, ask the person to come over. Now, not everybody has the economic opportunity to do that every time. And there were times in my life, I now have kids in college, and I don't know, that that's uh, my wife's gonna hear this. She'll be like, what are we doing? We're not picking up the tab for the table. <laughs> but but it is fun to do stuff like that. But I have also found, Joel, the opportunity to just tell people, man, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I really appreciate the way you treated me today. We were at Hard Rock in um, New York last week, or I was in New York City and went to Hard Rock And this poor woman was having to deal with like 300 Italian tourist teenagers, just driving her crazy, trying to get them, not because they're Italian, they're just teenagers, but they're kind of, you know, out and running around when, when they all left, I went up to her after they had served us our meal and said, man, I just really appreciate not only how you treated them firmly, but with respect, but how you treated us and how you treated me and my daughter. And we did these other things. She teared up. Because people just don't pause it wasn't just if I had given her a tip she'd appreciate that, which we did we gave her a very good tip but just to tell her this is how you created value for me and I won't forget my experience to the city because of you and how you interacted with us and how you interacted with them I just think that if we if we try to but genuinely I don't mean in a false way but if just like that tech giant sold something or how you're doing it now, if you just adopt a mindset and you won't have it every day, because some days we're not a good version of ourselves. Yeah. But if that's how we try to live out loud more often than not, you'll change somebody's life a little bit that day. And um, I think those are gifts from God for us to do and to live that out. And selfishly, I love it. I love that they um, they react like that. I I don't know how that's not a... I'm wired like that. I'm wired to both express and to receive that um, that interaction.
0: the The phrase that I heard that that changed the the tipping thing for me was uh, they said um, tip to your ability, not to the service you received. Yeah, and that's when I'd get the hugs too. Like when I get really bad service, and I will leave them a like huge tip. They'll I've had people walk up to me after and be like, "Why did you do that?" Right. Like I was like crazy busy. I forgot your stuff. We, your, your wife didn't even, right. they, they they left. Them. They forgot to bring my wife's meal because I don't know why, but it just happened. Right. And she thought that they were waiting till she finished feeding the baby and that they were being nice and like keeping it heated right. up and they were going to bring it to her when she was done feeding. And then they had just completely forgotten. She was like, why did you do that? And I was like, I don't know. But- have a good day and yeah. uh, I didn't I wasn't eloquent with it but the you you mentioned something else real quick that I want to touch on about caring about people you know you can do what you can do with the, the finances you have and on the scale that that you want right. um, and that you're able to do it and don't stretch yourself to to do something you you shouldn't be doing be be prudent with your finances but this one time I met the first time I ever met a billionaire. Uh-huh. I was at some event and and I was, you know, introduced to him and and he looked at me and the way that interaction went he made me feel like the only person in the entire world. He focused so intently on me and like held the conversation so well and showed so much interest in me. I was going to say, you know, going to ask him a bunch of things and he was just curious about me and he was at, and, and I left, it was a two minute exchange, the entire experience. And I I turned to my wife, I'm like, that just happened. That is who I want to be. Like, I I don't need a billion dollars to be that person. Like I can interact with people and I can make them feel like that. And I can pay attention to them and I can care. And, 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 and it doesn't cost me anything other than you know my time. And so that was very, very freeing.
1: Yeah. Well, look, if you have a humanist mindset where you believe this life is all there is, there's still tremendous value, in my opinion, about helping, like then humanity is the sort of the highest f- order of importance for you. And so to be able to pour into other, in my opinion, in my sort of Pollyanna idea, to be able to pour into other human beings is one of the greatest blessings you can. Now I don't think you do that, to your point earlier, don't put yourself in a financial hole to, to go do, or whatever, because you know we, I see too many people that don't have the time, pull back and try to do a little bit for a many, and dive into doing some for a few. Like really, you go out to dinner twice a week, or twice a month, and you are, then that creates not only the opportunity for you to eat healthy, but it, you know, because most of the time you're not out eating crummy food, but it it allows you in those few interactions to really go deep to be at 100% instead of having 20 meals out and doing a you know a little bit more but for those of us that have a um, a perspective that there's more than just this life we're encouraged over and over and over look it's it doesn't it doesn't earn you salvation it doesn't earn you these things but if you want to if there is really is a creator what is the better thing, to show up to some building and give a hundred bucks, or to turn to that creator's other children and help them? In other words, if somebody came to you and is really cool to you, but is crappy to your children, as opposed to is kind of, maybe not indifferent to you, but is formal with you, but treats Atlas, goes out of their way to help Atlas, goes out, the way, out of the way to help your other children, is it time self sacrificing in their own need? Stands up and lets them sit down for your wife or whatever. It goes out of their way, out of genuineness of their heart. Not every time, but as often as it occurs to them. What is more important to you? And that's why one of my favorite scriptures says something to the effect of, "If you show up with an offering and you know you have trouble between you and some other person, set it down. I don't. I'm not looking for your money or your time or whatever. Pause what you're doing." and go to the best of your ability and restore that person, even if it's not your fault. Go restore, go, and so you can live that out whether you have a um, a faith-based perspective or you have a humanist perspective. If we live like that, like the, who's my neighbor? I wanna to try to use every excuse to adopt people into that definition of neighbor and and try to do everything I can to remove barriers on what my neighbor might look like, and I pour into them, I think we win today ultimately. And I think that in, uh, in the end, that part of the way we're measured as human beings and our value on earth is how we treat each other. There's an artist named Charlie Mackesy who tells about his faith journey. He's one of the most interesting guys. He's kind of become famous since COVID. He wrote this really cool book that I have up here on the shelf but I heard him, he's the first person I ever heard use the F word from the pulpit. I don't think he's trying to <laughs> say that that's a good thing, but he's just a really cool artist. But he started his faith journey as an, he was an atheist, went through a bunch of circumstances. He ended up in uh, Africa, in a, basically a mud hut, as an artist doing some experiment. And the family there was destitute in a way that we don't understand. And they had a joy in life, and a joy in living, and a joy in their circumstances. Now obviously they would want running water, and they would want better things but they had a love relationship with their community and with their, with God and with their faith and all these other things. And he, he couldn't understand you have no material things. Why do you live like this? And so I'm not going to go through all this story because we don't have time. You can find it on YouTube. Fascinating guy, Charlie Mackesy. Uh, And he's kind of shy actually, but It really got him thinking like, I'm measuring worth by all these material things. And these human beings are living an authentic level of humanity, which is not to say you got to be pauper, you got to be in Africa. But if you have a heart and a mindset of a particular perspective, man, it just, it just, it's a paradigm shift. I think my personal experience with you, I would say that you're that kind of person, not just because you said these words today, we've had plenty of conversations in the past, But I'm attracted to people like that. And I fail all the time to be that kind of human being. But I want to be that kind of human being. I'm attracted to being that kind of human being. And if I'm going to err in selfishness or or self-grandizing, I want to do it where I'm helping other people instead of just indulging in me because I'm pretty good at indulging in me. And whatever we, you know, we've talked about tech layoffs. We've talked about chat. We talked about all these other things. Technology is going to come and go. Circumstances are going to come and go. And we have no control over any of those things. What we do have control of is how we treat the people to the left of us, to the right of us. And I think the most beautiful thing is those servers, for example, that you're interacting with, even when it's crappy service, we shock the world when we treat them in a way, not just when they can't pay us back, but when they don't want to pay us back. And like that philosophy of, I'm not even interested. And when you pour into them in love, maybe most of them, it's not going to make a difference. But for a few of them, you're going to shock them in a way that's going to change the trajectory of their life. And um, I think those are those are gifts get, the universe gives us to do that on occasion. And I don't know if that has to do with data centers or technology, no. but I do <laughs> think it's a yeah. great way to uh, be a human being.
0: So I'll share a last story with you because it happened yeah. recently. So one of my best friends, uh, he's, he's an atheist. And he came over to visit... Uh, a couple weeks ago and he drove over. You know, we went out to dinner. It was it was a good time and we were just talking about like different perspectives and he was asking me all sorts of questions because he didn't like know that I um, have faith-based and so right. when he found that out like, like a month or two ago, he's been curious and asking me, he's like, you're one of the brightest people I know. Like, why do you... Right do that. And I was like, like it's well, an irrational, like, idea.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know. Cause I, well, I've openly explored everything before I came right. to, to where I am today. And so I've got the mind to be able to talk about it with other people. Yeah. And basically the, the takeaway that you were hinting at that I just wanted people who are listening to emphasize is this common misconception I see where the conversation went a lot towards, well, there's these atrocities and like Catholicism right. and what the, uh, things that abuses of of people and children. Like, there's right. all these bad things around it, and and then there's all this like you know the physics and the science and the 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 myth, and then this has been disproven. Right. This has been, and and I just said he's like, so like why? And I was like, well. First of all, within the community, there's a large amount of debate about each specific thing that you've mentioned, right. and there's many different ways of thinking about it. Right. But I'll tell you about the way I think about it, and the way I think about it is this: the Christian men that I spend my time with in the community that I'm that I'm in, mm-hmm. and you, you would be in that. You're like my digital extended community. You and Brad Appreciate Sosa it. and a couple other people. Um, uh, I'm around these other men because of two core reasons the first reason is that we acknowledge we don't get it right all the time Mm -hmm. and the second reason is that we're all of the mindset that we're trying to get it right as much as possible yeah and and that's as simple as it is it doesn't get more complicated than that to me it's like that that is that that is what is happening if i were like a Martian looking down at the humans on earth. And I was like, Oh, okay. These humans are hanging out. They know they're not perfect. They're trying to do the best that they can. And in, there is something to be said about the person who wakes up indifferent to the person who wakes up and has this heart for attempting to be the best version of themselves. And they screw up, but the next day they don't, have all this incredible guilt and they're not shaming themselves. The next right. day, they're just like, look, it's a new day. It's a new start. I'm going to try to be a better version of myself today. And right. that is rare in my experience. And I have found it the most abundant within um, communities that love God. Yeah.
1: it's. Um, I know some amazing moral humanists. Most of my friends tend to be agnostic to atheists or many of them. I don't know if it's most, I haven't counted, but a significant portion. And I love them dearly. And many of them are very moral people. Even some of them have a, a degree of enviable peace. Um, there are real challenges for people um, about the problem of evil. If there is, you know, the argument usually goes, if there, is a, if there is a God, he can't be good. Or if he is good, he can't be omnipotent. And those are great. There's all kinds of YouTube things that we can go into those things, both you know, I didn't check my brain when I came to faith in Christ because I have, um, like getting married. I remember, um, I'm never going to get married. How do I know if it's the right person? How do I know if my, like all these objections. And then a year later, somebody bumps into me, I'm about to get married. And they're like, did you save enough money? Do you know that's the person for you forever? Which by the way, in February was 36 years. For me, Ooh. you know, do you know all these other things? You're a young man, you're 21. And I was like, I, I, I have figured out none of that. But she smells fantastic. And I, you know, <laughs> she, she looks amazing. And she's, uh, now I'm terrified of her. She's one third my size and she's, uh, she's from the land of the rising sun. So I gotta, I gotta be in my P's and Q's. And we don't have a lot in common. And somehow here we are 36 years later and I still love her dearly. But it is all that aside about having to work through. The things that I don't have blind faith, you're not a blind faith person, I'm not wishing for something in spite of the evidence otherwise I think logically, intellectually, all these other things have led me, are, are, have been steps on this path for me. At the end of the day, I've become convinced of the eyewitness testimony that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And this is not a podcast about faith, but it just informs this for me. I can't change me. Christ didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And for, and for me, as I try to submit myself regularly, I don't think he came to condemn the world. I think he came to save human beings. And in my personal journey, as I am a spectacular hypocrite and get it wrong way more than in by some miracle I sometimes get it right, I just let God change me day by day. It's this, it's this tension between it's already done and I'm not there yet. And each day that I can, I resubmit myself. And what's cool is, man, my, my boundaries don't choke me. They're kind of like, here's, it's like in the military, you get the uniform code of military justice and the Geneva convention. You go prosecute your mission in between those boundaries. And it lets me navigate for me. Your story may be different, but for me, it gives me a framework to navigate uh, the world around me. And, and so as I do that, as I go about doing that, I just try to live that out. And when uh, when I regularly mess it up, I repent and try to get restored. But you can have many of those ideas without, you know, my I have lots of beautiful people that do not have this perspective of faith. And I don't know why they don't fall in love the way that I did with, um, I believe, the person who created me. Even if that's your perspective as a technologist— if you live a life out loud of giving and serving in whatever way that you've been gifted, it just is, um, for me, it's such a fulfilling way to live and a better way to live. And who knows what the circumstances are for you. It's no guarantee of avoiding illness or challenges or tragedy, but it is, I think the best expression of being a human being and, um, I'm unashamed to say it and encourage people to live like it.
0: I ran science experiment for probably a decade where I tried multiple ways of living and religion and perspectives and ideologies. And I paid attention to which one created the most joy. And I said, well, this is a soul thing. And my soul says, this one creates the most joy. So this is where I am. And that's, I I, I like to say God found me and brought me to church. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's usually the way it works.
0: Yeah, because I, I, look, people can, you can change my thoughts and and influence me on many many of things. And I'm open to to debate details of stories and whatnot. But there's one thing that no one will ever be able to talk me out of, and it's the fact that good and evil are real things, and they're active things. And the more I spend time focused on the good and trying to live that out. And I believe that I we're all connected as human beings. Right. I believe it's much like, and here's where we're going to get a little nerdy and sciencey. That's right. Dave, if I went back to the 1600s and I said, Dave, there's this light that's all around us. You can't see it and there's no detection devices at all right. that, that can detect this thing, but it's all around us. You'd say, you're crazy. It doesn't exist, you know, untrue, yeah. whatever. Well, what's infrared light? And once we get the ability, historically, we can't see things, we don't know they're around us, microwaves, like then we advance our science, we get the ability to detect these things, and all of a sudden, now they're real, right? And so I think it would be unintelligent as a scientific person, a person that likes science, at least a fan, if not a practitioner, as much as I'd like to be, but to think that we've discovered everything. yeah And I believe that one day we'll discover some... For some way that we are all connected in a detectable yeah. way, and and I, I think that that's true, and I think that we can talk to God, and I don't think that God's a genie uh, or like a wishing machine or anything like that, but I do believe that that we can we can talk to God, and sometimes I get more clear responses, sometimes I don't get anything. I don't really know. I don't know. I guess I get. The, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, the joy I get from the entire experience is greater than any argument against it, and so yeah.
1: that helps I believe it's build the truth. Faith. I mean, I, I I have I have spent a lot of time to to, and it's and sometimes it's an inconvenient truth. You know, it'd be way more convenient not to because it's not culturally uh, popular in many circles today. But you know, I just think that you resolve things until. You line up the evidence for something or against something. One of the things that comes up, and and don't be afraid to embrace truth. I listen to and have been in many conversations and follow many people who disagree with the outcome that I've come to. They're smart. They're capable. I've enjoyed Dawkins, Hitchens, Sam Harris. There are a variety of people that are um, humanists or atheistic-minded, that are smart people. There's so many areas, Sam Harris and neuroscience, that are intriguing to me and interesting to me and really get me to think, and not everybody who claims my faith tradition is somebody that I admire or would aspire to. I think you work these things out as a human being, and and that's what I've done. So I haven't checked my brain. I, I engage it regularly. But I'm so comfortable with my thoughts on this and many other topics that I can hold this idea firmly, not a death grip, firmly, and allow other ideas to contend with it, and see if they, see if they win. Whether you know whether it's a mortal argument or intellectual argument, I think that serves us well. And it's Avi Loeb, who is not a religious person, was just on my podcast. He is a former chair of astronomy at Harvard. And in 2017, this object came into the solar system, and he was one of the few people that said, "I don't think this is natural. I think this is unnatural." Um, I think it's alien in origin, and here's why. And he went through the scientific reasons on how we measure meteors and um, uh, comets and asteroids and all these other things. He said, it doesn't follow any of those rules. And so following this standard, this needs to, um, you know, this is how I'm going to label it. And he got a lot of criticism. It's pretty funny. He's been on Lex Friedman and Joe Rogan and a number, uh, really popular guy. I loved having him on my show. But what's really cool about Avi is, even though he is not... Um, he is, he's Israeli, but I don't think he's religious in particular. He's like, look, I love pursuing curiosity. I've, in my world, science and religion, and I would not call myself religious. I would call myself a Christ follower, but I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself religious conversation for another time. But um, he's like, the level of curiosity is we're trying to explore. We should have an open mind of curiosity, resolving things, some that we can experiment with on the workbench, establish laws and move from hypothesis to theorem to law and we can do that and other things are things that we have to hypothesize for example how can we call something good if we don't have evil and where do they come from and all these other things and we don't have all these answers but we should have a level of curiosity and intellectual honesty and not criticize each other as we try to work it out which is not to say we don't criticize the idea because it maybe it doesn't it doesn't survive scrutiny or, or we all look at the same set of information and we may not um, come to the same conclusion, but we shouldn't destroy each other over it. We should work through it. And, um, and if we agree to disagree, we agree to disagree. And, but we're wildly uh, kind and loving neighbors as we do that. And I completely agree uh, with that philosophy. And I, you know, I don't know that it's a, it's a, sign of our time, because this is ebbed and flow all of human history, but I do believe the best version of us and the best version of our society is when we have that attitude. Whatever our faith tradition is, when we have that attitude of serving each other and we err on the side of um, helpfulness and kindness, not niceness, nice can be um, uh, polite but not helpful, but we're actually kind, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but when we live that out, I don't know. It gives me hope for tomorrow, whatever the technology changes are around us.
0: Have you ever looked up the root of the word nice? Did we talk about that before? I don't know if we have. <laughs> it's like the village idiot. Yeah. 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 I didn't I didn't make it up. I just was curious what nice meant one day. And I went and looked it up and I saw the, you know, what do they call it? like Etymology or something like that. Yeah. But basically the root of it. And it, it, it came from that. So it was like like dumb and aloof. <laughs> I was like, well, that's weird how that's made its way into modern day language. Obviously, right. we're not calling people dumb and aloof and yeah. village idiots today. But uh, you got it there, Josh.
1: Let's see. Yeah.
0: Middle English word
1: ignorant to mean ignorant. <laughs> yeah. You know that's how funny. we say that in the South? Bless, Bless your, your heart. heart. Yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. <sighs> it is, um, you know, kind is you're willing to risk Social standing and the way that somebody thinks about you, but they may not be aware of a truth. And so you uh, you tell them a truth in love, even if it's inconvenient to say, um, and may cost you. But you love them, and they need to hear the truth, whatever whatever that is.
0: Salad in your teeth. That's that's yeah.
1: kind. That's being kind that's and ex- loving. That's exactly right. Um, as opposed to just being nice and letting them wander on, uh, down the road. Right. That is the worst.
0: I am the guy. I am the guy that tells you when you have food in your teeth or your face.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't, there's a difference between honesty and brutal honesty. Like, Pull me aside and say, bro, you got a piece of toilet paper hanging out. You just, your suit coat is tucked into your pants. You just came out of the restroom or just untuck it for me. Don't grab the mic in front of the room and say, yeah. Hey, you idiot! You know this is what's going on now. You're just being cruel. Yeah, but I think look, we're we get it wrong. We're getting it wrong all the time um, as we try to live this out because we are human beings. And we're inherently flawed like that. But I think if that's our kind of what you're talking about before, when you said, "Look, I've adopted this lifestyle, and I have this, I have this mission as I interact with the world to interact with these groups of people, servers in this way, and I hope to get joy out of it." Many times um, I'll get the reaction I'm looking for. Sometimes I don't. But it's not just about them. It's also about me. And I try to keep the mindset of that's not my salvation. That's not saving me or anything like that. But it is a way I get to affect the world around me in a way that I think is beautiful and brings value, even if they don't always appreciate it. And that makes me feel good, you know, that, to, to live with that kind of love. And I know that it impacts other uh other people around me and maybe some fraction of them are going to pick it up and do it themselves. So if I'm going to error, I try to error like that. Spread the love. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, spread that's the,
1: spread the kind.
0: What else do we need to do to wrap up? Oh, can you just tell me real quick and like a yeah. 30 second soundbite? Because I know you, we didn't really go into it. Yeah. Who are you? What do you do? And what is QTS data centers?
1: Yeah. So appreciate it. Um, so, Let's back up. So a data center is where all this data that we're talking about on earth lives. And whether it's uh, an Amazon, Apple, uh, Meta, whoever, they have their own building, or it's an operator like um, QTS, we operate uh, what we would call mega data centers or hyperscale data centers. So data centers of a few hundred thousand to millions of square feet around the globe, that house um, this digital infrastructure of of the world, the ideas of the whole world. Every song probably you listen to or DNA storage or whatever, they live in a data center somewhere. So we build that digital infrastructure. Within that organization, I'm one of the original employees there. I've been there for a long time. And I've had all kinds of operational roles, business-facing roles. Today I'm an evangelist for the company. How ironic is that? We're talking about this. But um, I I am truly a... uh, I love being part of the digital infrastructure world because I think it is where the some of the most important conversations are happening. The ethic, how what do we do with data? How do we manage it? How do we protect it? How do we make sure we're doing the right thing? How do we um, how do we manage the resources? Uh, it takes a lot of uh, power and water and other resources to manage these facilities, and so we need to be doing it in a um, in a sustainable way, and and so. Anyway, about four years ago, uh, my CTO came and said, almost five years now, and said, hey, look, I got a bunch of engineers that can lead all these different engineer things. I would love for you to come and be an evangelist for us. And I said, absolutely not, you've lost your mind. I'm terrified of doing that, I'll (laughs) never do it. And uh, he didn't give me a choice, he made me do it. And then about a year later, head of marketing um, and our chief revenue officer said, hey, look, I wanna take you from the CTO group And just put you, uh, put you in this, um, in this position and really kind of uh, magnify it. I love it now. I couldn't imagine doing anything else. uh, I have a podcast that I do called the QTS experience. I do a lot of public speaking, but one of the really cool things that we do is we take all this information and on the back end, we turn it into actionable data for us. What are the trends in the industry? What are trends in the world? How do we distill that down and turn it into information for our? Our sales teams, or turn into value for our customers, or for our uh, employees, and so to be part of. I think that's the new world is how does evangelism not just outward facing, but inward facing to, main, to maintain culture, to um, educate, to help um, to help us to be adroit and agile and responding to marketplace forces. I get to be at the heart of all of that, and so that's what I do for the organization today. I've had a bunch of different hats, as I said. So we'll see uh, what it looks like tomorrow. But it's uh, look, if you want to be in a business that I don't know that it's recession proof, but it's part of the future economy, somehow be connected to that data or digital infrastructure, whether it's legal or evangelism or operations or a developer or whatever, it is one of the best places on earth to be. I'm so grateful that I'm part of it. Dave, we did it, man. We made a podcast. How do you feel? I feel fantastic. Thanks for letting me hang out with you today.